What's up, party people? This is Ian Lenhart coming at you from the studio in Miami, Florida, just to let you know that it is a damn good day to have a damn good day. And the message of the day is to try something new in your life. Just something new. I I saw these studies recently that sometimes it takes people five to 10 different careers before they find the career they love. Chances are you are right now in some sort of career or passion that isn't your ultimate mojo. You know, it's not unleashing you in a mojo where you're just crushing it with passion and enthusiasm and excitement. I don't know who needs to hear this, but chances are you're in a position or a career that you're not thriving. And a large portion of that sometimes comes from your lack of exploring, exploring new jobs, exploring new careers, exploring new paths, exploring new places to live, changing it up going to a new country, seeing, meeting new people, having new experiences. All these things are so crucial to us to one day find true happiness, right? Try to be happy, hang out with the friends, enjoy some barbecue and a dream. And that's what this is all about. If you are right now in a position where you're not loving where you're at, you're not feeling like you're waking up oozing passion, then make it a suggestion and a a goal to reach out and try something new. Get the understanding of what your friends are doing. Ask them those tough questions like, are you happy doing what you're doing? What are you making doing what you're doing? What's the opportunity here? If you don't ask those questions, if you don't ask for your friends to introduce you to new people, nothing's going to happen and chances are you're limiting your potential. So, Let's jump into today's episode. I'm super excited. We are bringing on Shung from Save My Sense. She's amazing. She's just such a good person. There's so many money gurus out there, and I think a lot of them are just kind of like, you know, just a little icky. I don't want to hear you talk about how you make all this money, bro. Like, that's just not my jam. But I do want to hear about how you make all this money. You, you get what I'm saying? Shung is just such a good person. She's such a passionate human. Her whole goal and mission uh, after she's, you know, earned a seven-figure net worth, building wealth over long periods of time, is to take all the money she makes selling courses and invest it into charities and things that help people. Like, she has reach her cap and now she takes the money from her personal finance and invests it back into these things that she cares about. That to me is so cool and that's why I asked her to come on this podcast and share tips and tricks on personal finance, understanding those tough questions, understanding budgeting, understanding all the things that go into your day-to-day thought process and psychology when pulling out your credit card. So the goal of this whole episode was really to educate people and for myself to learn different things and she knocked it out of the park, let me tell you. On this episode, we talked about things such as how to get started building wealth, cultivating the right mindset for saving, three ways to make yourself more valuable and earn more, and most common mistakes found in investing. As always, you can watch this episode live on YouTube. And now without further ado, episode 121 with Shung from Save My Sense. Let's jump into it. We're live, we're here with the legendary Shung. Thank you so much for jumping on. I'm so excited you're here. First off, how's your day going? Ian, I am having a fantastic day. How about you? 
living the dream. It's a damn good day to have a damn good day. And it's interesting because a few guests ago, we had Randy Gaman from Infrared Health Sauna speaking all about how sauna usage can revolutionize and is currently revolutionizing um, people's life expectancy, um, helping people with detoxing and health. The amount of benefits there are from sauna usage is crazy. So I just got my sauna in today in these giant packages. So after this call, we're going to be setting it up. that's so fun is it gonna fit in your place i don't know yet it's gonna we're gonna see you know you just okay. you don't really i have this master plan that hopefully it's gonna fit in in my bedroom because if it doesn't fit it's i don't know where we're gonna put it <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna look really cool though yeah. <laughs> well i'm so glad for you to jump on today and take your time i know you're busy you could be doing 100 things at once but I love what you're all about. First of all, personal finance is something everyone needs to know about. It's an uncomfortable subject that Mm -hmm. people tend to shy away from until they have to. It's kind of like the feeling of when I check my bank account sometimes, sometimes it feels like I'm checking my report card, you know? You're like, oh, yeah. what, what, what's the damage? You know, these credit cards have allowed us a, a flexibility that we've never had before. And just being able to do simple budgeting is, is very tough and challenging. But all of the finance gurus like yourself, and when I say guru, I mean people that have dedicated time towards teaching the public because all the information's out there, right? Index mm-hmm. funds, investing, long periods of time. If you're doing it consistently, if you live below your means and you invest the surplus over time, you grow these things, but still people don't do them for whatever reason. I'm young. I don't need to. You are an amazing example of someone that goes so much farther beyond just teaching people personal finance, investing, all those stuff, because you're not doing it to put more money in your pocket. You have this crazy mission to help people. Can you tell us what that mission is? Yeah. So save my sense on the surface looks like any other influencer platform. I got my Instagram account. I got my blog um, and I got some uh, courses. But at the end of the day, any proceeds that I make from running Save My Sense is being given away over my lifetime to various causes to further impact people's lives and change people's financial wealth. Now, when you started that mission, has that been a mission since you were a little kid or did you have this aha moment? Where did that come from? Yeah, I'll be quite honest. When I was young, all I wanted to do was make a lot of money. And that continued well into my 20s. I wanted to make a lot of money and be really, really rich. And it wasn't really until when I started having a lot of different things happening in my life, personal issues, career issues. And that's when... I realized that um, wealth and money can only take you so far and that to really get joy, to really find everlasting joy that doesn't change with the circumstances, you got to give your excess away. You, You have to give, you have to help people. And that is crazy enough. The answer to, I think, a lot of life's problems is being charitable. Do you feel that you hit a certain point in your financial journey where you're like, wow, I have it all. Like, what else do I need? Like, did you hit a point like with that? Um, funny enough, this point came when I felt like rock bottom, actually. And I, I on surface, it looked really, I looked really successful. I was in one of the top business schools in the country at University of Chicago. And I was working on really cool startups at the time. And at that time, I already had like six figures of wealth, not seven figures, which is what I have today. Um, But on the surface, you know, well-educated, 
bright future ahead. And I was so lonely, Ian, and I was so miserable as a human being to be around. So I was even more lonely because people are like, well, we don't want to hang out with this like super negative person because I come off of a, uh, you know, a hard breakup and things like that. And I was questioning a lot of things. And then that's when I realized that I was just so focused on wallowing in my own pity that I failed to recognize what other people around me truly needed. And that's when I realized, Sean, you had to find joy. And you're going to find joy little by little by helping people, by inspiring others, and then also with your money, because you got money, you can give away some money. And that's that's my my journey started and developed into what it is today. It is so interesting that when you give away money, a lot of the times it makes you feel better than sometimes where the money's going to. That feeling yeah. of giving and, and feeling like you've done something and had a real impact. I, I asked that other question about, do you feel like enough was enough? Because- I'm in this situation where I'm, I've just been like beaming off life recently. Cause I finally bought a house and I'm in my own house and I have a car and I have a great career and life's just great. I'm so lucky. I'm surrounded by good friends and this isn't a brag or I'm just saying that I can't imagine needing anything more, mm. you know, like I feel like happiness at some point when you get a car, a house and a place to call some friends, the amount of happiness you're going to get off of making more and more and more and more money probably isn't going to come in that sense. Uh, these are just some thoughts that are coming through my head all the time. Yeah, it's it's almost like an addiction. And I noticed because when ever since I was young and started getting good grades in school and going to good schools, the expectation is because you went to a good school, because you're smart, you got to make it big in life and you need to make something of yourself. And I had these super unrealistic expectations that maybe I could have hit it if I put all of my time and energy into being the best in my field. Like I wanted to be Forbes 30 under 30. I wanted to be uh, some guru and whatever, all these dreams. And even now, you know, the pinnacle of where my career could end up is being a really great salesperson and pitching, you know, enough projects to make millions. And I realized that after some point you accumulate all this wealth and I've, I've traveled to nice places. I've, I've, I've flown business class. Mm -hmm. I've stayed at four or five star hotels. It eventually gets old. And if you don't focus on the relationships in your life, I have a husband, I have a child. You don't kind of stop and just relish those moments and find the joy in that. You're never going to be happy because you're going to keep chasing bigger and bigger thrills that you see on social media and in the media. And you see like celebrities with a lot of money doing this. And we think our eyes are deceiving. We think that is happening because it looks pretty. It looks glamorous and beautiful. But at the end of the day, a lot of people doing that are no more happier than the rest of us. Well said. Yeah. I've been going, living in Miami, there's a lot of fancy, fancy schmancy spots, right? So if you want to go drop a few hundred on, you know, a small piece of, chicken it's all over wherever you want go get it <laughs> and it's interesting because a couple of times you know i obviously go and, and do that sometimes sometimes call for it but when when i'm looking around i feel like i don't get this vibe that these people are any happier than the people that are at you know the, the cheaper spots i just don't get that feeling i think that a lot of that has to do with the company i think company is so important to true happiness now getting your money right is the most important thing off the bat They say that you need to get your money right so that you can have financial freedom. Financial freedom to then ask yourself the tough questions of what do I want? What do I need? 
what's makes me happy. Most people, yeah. like I think it was Naval Ravjikant, he said uh, that everyone needs to get rich. Why? Because you can't tell a super broke person that money's not going to solve their issues. You know, correct. If I just had a car that got to point A to point B, if I didn't have all these bills, like if only I could spend more time with my family, if only, right? But once you get rich, you then apparently realize that there's a lot more to it, but you'll never get there until you figure that out. What are your thoughts there? I think it's important to cover the basics. As always, I believe that, you know, people should have safe housing. People should have enough food and water to, to survive. And we, there are common decencies. Healthcare, for example, big, big topic. And I agree. We do need money. We need resources to exist, to survive. And money also affords conveniences. It buys time. For the richest people, money buys time. And that is important and that should exist. And I th think it's so important to encourage anyone who kind of hears this message to take care of yourself today and also take care of yourself in the future, which is why I focus so much on making sure that people save enough to get a dignified retirement, you know, not retiring, but going hungry because you're on a fixed income. Then beyond that, once you've had, you know, that, that peak point of happiness, then we say diminishing returns. Anything additional in addition to that isn't going to get you as much joy or as much stability as the first level. But absolutely, I would love to get everybody into stability. And I think that's possible. And it's amazing because if everyone has Instagram, you can go follow people like Shung or there's a bunch of other ones. I, a couple of ones I follow is like your first 100K finance, Josh, just some random Instagram accounts that I'm looking at. And yeah. a lot of them are preaching messages that you see in like Tony Robbins, master the money game, or you see in like bank on yourself or some of these financial books. Uh, but most people are still not doing it. And mm -hmm. for various reasons. Now let's kind of break into a little bit. What are some of your tips or some of your suggestions that you teach for somebody that is just, let's say that they have never invested in an index fund. They don't have any sort of retirement. They don't have any savings. Yeah. Let's say they're in their late twenties, early thirties, and they want to get started. Where do you start yeah. to point people to? Yeah. First it's a mindset change. Um, because when people look at someone like me, they're like, Oh, Sean, you're talking about investing and being rich because you are rich, but I'm not you. I can't relate. And I totally get that because there's this common misconception that you need to be rich to invest. And I want to say that's not true. You can become rich by investing. So you got to start. And the first investment doesn't have to be a lot of money. I think my first investment was maybe a couple hundred bucks. And so allowing yourself to believe that investing is for you and that getting rich is available to you, that you're not being blocked out by some invisible force around wealth. That's so important. And then number two, it's also forgiving yourself and not beating yourself up for whatever actions you haven't taken. I've heard the phrase, I'm too late, from people anywhere from ages like 25 all the way into infinity. I mean, people of all ages will come to me and be like, Sean, it's too late for me. I didn't <laughs> invest. I didn't think about retirement. And I couldn't tell you what the average age is. And I wish that people would stop beating themselves up for possibly really legitimate reasons for not getting started. Things such as student loans can take some time. Having children takes a lot of money out of you. Caring for parents, having a healthcare episode that just you know, takes out a lot of resources. 
there are things that can get in the way, really important life things that we need to forgive ourselves before we just keep beating ourselves up and just like sit there, wallow in regret and end up not investing at all. Yeah. That's such an important lesson for giving yourself sin of not getting started before and not beating yourself up and playing what if, or if only, and all these things, because there's a million good reasons of why not, but changing the mindset says, Hey, today's the day. Today's the day. I'm going to start meditating. When I wake up today's the day, I'm yeah. going to go to bed at 10 PM. Today's the day, you know, we need more of today's the day. Maybe today is the day to start implementing. So now once we get that mindset, right, someone's like, yeah. okay, I'm game. I feel what you're putting down. Teach me Shung. What do I do next? What's what goes on from there? I'd love for you to automate everything. If you have access to an employer sponsored retirement account, this could be a 401k, 403, 457, TSP, start there. The reason why I like you to start there and start taking, you know, some percentage of your salary and putting it into that account and investing it is because you don't feel it. When people start putting a couple percentages of their salary and you don't see that hit your bank account, then you don't even know that that money was there for you to spend. You're like, all right, it went somewhere. And that's my favorite part. If you do not have access to one of these accounts, go online to say fidelity.com, my favorite brokerage, by the way, and open a free IRA account today, either traditional or Roth. I don't really care. Just open one. It takes minutes. It, it Literally, people are like, oh my God, it's so hard. I'm like, no, it's minutes. I've got a how-to guide on my Instagram. It's so easy. Put in your information, transfer in some money from a bank account and just start investing. It's, um, I think people fear the unknown and people make investing out to be such like a big deal when actually it's literally just a few mouse clicks. And so you got to get over that hurdle and just open the account and just put in some money and, and put it to work. Yeah, it's interesting. Like Roth IRAs is what a lot of these books say is number one. You can put up to 5,500 a year, I believe in, maybe 6,000. 6,000 currently and that amount, uh, typically the uh, government raises every two years or so. Right, and you can write that off in your taxes, right? Because it's going into your Roth. It's uh, the Roth, um, it's after-tax money, but all of your earnings will be tax-free. The traditional, you write off the tax today, but then you're, when you withdraw, you're subject to income taxes. Either way, I love these, though. I love the IRAs. I love the employer-sponsored accounts because they give you some tax break. And if you happen to max these out, which currently would be 19500 for the employer-sponsored accounts and then the $6,000 for the IRAs, go ahead and open your own taxable brokerage. Again, go to fidelity.com. Now open up a brokerage and put in as much money as you want to invest because it's unlimited. That's amazing. There's a great book that I love. It's called The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. Love that book, yeah. Yeah, he just lays it out. Yeah. It's interesting that when you listen to these guidelines, it's amazing what compound interest does, right? It's slow and slow and slow for years and years. Then you get 50K, 70K, 100K, 100K turns into 200K, way quicker than zero to 100K. And then 500K turns into a million, way quicker than all the others. It's amazing what that compounding can do, but it's more amazing what I've seen is just having any sort of sense of security, the feeling of security knowing that if shit hit the fan, you are okay. If your parents get sick, you will be okay. Knowing that should be a reason enough to me for everyone to start taking this seriously. 
sooner rather than later. But there's a, amazing things that when you start investing at even 55 or 60, you can still have incredible gains by the time you're 75. And all of it starts with that mindset. And the more you put in earlier, all it does is saves you more than you have to put in later because you have the benefit yeah. of time. Can you tell us more about that? I often like to say time is your one ingredient that is irreversible. Everything else we can change, but we can't reverse time, at, at least not, not here on earth. I know theoretically there, there's stuff about this that beyond my level of comprehension. Um, and so the earlier you start, the less you have to put in to get to the same level. I actually literally just did a calculation today. I said, okay, let's, let's talk about two people who put in $12,000 into investments each year. So $1,000 a month. I know not everyone's going to do that, but it's for math reasons. The first person starts $12,000 a year at age 25. The second person starts $12,000 a year at age 30. So just a five-year difference and $60,000. Let's assume a compound annual growth rate of 5% a year. What happens when both of these people hit age 65? That initial $60,000 balloons to almost a $400,000 difference at age 65, which is incredible and so that's why you get start start early now obviously have have your basis you got to have an emergency fund before you invest because investments are risky and they can go up and down in value over time but the more time you have the more time in the market means more compounding more growth and also for the people who are afraid of recessions more time for your money to recover as well mm. talk, talk to us a little bit about the difference between timing the market and then dollar cost averaging yes people who time the market they want to wait and wait and wait for some price to drop so they can buy low and then eventually sell high the people who dollar cost average say i'm not going to wait for the lows and the highs i'm just going to average my money as in i'm going to put in the same amount of money at a set point in time each year and most people do this on a monthly basis my husband and i actually do it on an annual basis um, outside of our 401ks and iras and that means that if it's low you buy low if it's high you buy high but you follow the market and historically speaking following the market is not a bad deal you're you're actually getting pretty good returns um not in, uh, if we're going to say not including dividends, about 8%. If you include dividends, it's about 10% on average uh, since the stock market's inception. That's a lot higher than what my money could do in uh, just trying to be in a high yield savings account, which right now we know like there's like almost no interest in, in those accounts. Interest. And the big thing to think about is money too with inflation and as inflation's going up your dollar amounts are decreasing so storing hundreds of thousands of dollars under your bed right yeah sure it has its upsides of that you're sleeping on a bed of money but the downsides is it's literally losing money every second and like that yeah. whole change really changed my mindset right i try to hold as little cash as possible right like keep it in assets assets that produce dollars and then use those um asset producing vehicles to then fund the things that you want. And that's what they teach in like rich dad, poor dad. And, you know, okay. the idea that you can have all the fun toys, but as, as long as your assets are covering the expenses of your liabilities, talk to us a little yeah. bit about that. Yep. Basically it means 
that you have a little bit of patience because very it, it's so easy for us to have shiny object syndrome like ooh that new car that new uh phone i think a lot of people drop a lot of money on phones these days let's just use phones as an example um and we go on to a payment plan for a thousand dollar phone um whereas instead why not delay that a little bit you know get a secondhand phone get an older phone get a not so fancy phone invest that thousand dollars and then eventually as you invest and i'm not just talking about that one thousand dollars but all the other things that you do to invest eventually you're going to get a lot of growth off of your investments such that it can now fund an even better lifestyle and the asset base the original amount you invested is still sitting there and so it also covers things like emergencies and you can fall back on it so to put it in more concrete examples in my 20s i obviously love the couture i i like designer clothes i'm really into fashion I'm also a huge foodie. I love Michelin-starred restaurants, uh, gastronomic science, all of that cool stuff. But if I indulge in that, it would be a five hundred thousand dollar bill each time that I do it. And I wasn't making that much money back then. I made decent money, but not like a lot, not six figures for sure. Whereas these days, I've taken the money that I saved, that money that I did not spend in my twenties, I've invested it now. Off of an asset base of seven figures, I'm generating value of six figures a year. I'm generating value equivalent to more than most people's incomes, and it's it's literally I didn't do anything. I'm not doing anything with it, but it's just incredible growth. And I can use that to add to my wealth. I can use it to give it away, or I can use it to fund a nicer lifestyle. Um, that's that's why if you have a little bit of patience, it doesn't take that much time to then reap the benefits of it. That's incredible. And you're talking about building that nest egg, right? Yeah. Yeah. It could be, and it doesn't have to be index funds. I do index funds because I, I liked it. I like how I, how to analyze it. Some people do real estate. So some people might take the money that they would have spent and go invest in real estate, become a uh, um, home. They become landlords. So you have a bunch of units all generating rental cash. That's another way to do it. Uh, there's, there's different ways to, to this concept of putting in a lot of money when you're young into assets that grow in value over time, return cash, whatnot, such that then you don't have to work as hard later in life. When you're tired, you're more tired. Gosh, I wake up with back pains all the time now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and you have more responsibilities. Like I have a kid, so I don't have all that free time. Um, then you don't have as much time to dedicate to growing your career as you like. What are your thoughts on, I think a lot of things affect, especially younger people more so, is the idea that I'm young, this is the time when I got to go tour Europe, I got to go you know, live on an island and find true love and basically just veg out and see the world. But really, it's just a giant money pit unless you're some sort of influence uh, that's getting it comped somehow right what are your thoughts to that like is there a way uh, that you could have a happy medium where you get to explore and travel the world in your 20s while saving for your future yeah you can't do this and be a monk very few people have the personality of a monk type and the most common question that i get about my frugal years was shang did you have any fun at all and i said yes of course i had fun you budget for it and you plan for it and you find creative ways to get it for cheap so my big things were travel 
food, and clothing. So what did I do for travel? I work in management consulting, which um, well, I don't travel at, as much anymore, but it does pay for some decent amount of travel. And then on top of that, you get the loyalty points that come with the hotel and the flights. So you can use that. And then my husband and I use that and credit card bonus signups to then uh, fund travel for free. Um, I ran a photography business uh, for several years on top of my day jobs. So I had a lot of expenses related to that. I put those expenses on a business credit card that got me points and miles, fly for free, go to hotels for free. So that's a huge, huge way to save money. We once funded a vacation worth $20,000 retail value off of points and miles. Incredible. Yeah. Looking at like, People like the points guy teach you that, you know, if you, my favorite credit card is the Chase Sapphire reserve card. Yes. It's amazing. Super clutch card. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've used that. And we also have some cash back cards and, you know, especially in 2020 when there was no travel to be had. So we did like cash back get some of that. It all, it all works out. But the thing is, is with a credit card, this is kind of what puzzles me a little bit, right? You don't, I don't think people, I understand why people don't have crazy budgeting. Like I, my budget's like average, right? I'm not like amazingly good at it. I have a good friend, Chris, who's hardcore manages his money, like makes his own Excel spreadsheet. He's a CFO of a company though. So he's like, you know, he's all about his numbers. He knows where every dollar, every cent goes at every single time. And because of that, he's on a trajectory that's blowing away people of his age because he is doing that, saving everything. But he's the extreme end of that, right? Not everyone's going to be there. But one thing that I think everyone needs to get better at is freaking paying off your credit card, man. Right? Like, Building credit, building credit is so important. If you want to get a mortgage, if you want to get a good car, right? like for example, when I got my car recently, I got a 1.9%, you know, APR on that. That's like mm -hmm. dumb cheap. If you average seven to 10% in the market, like let's say that's on the higher end, it makes sense yeah. to not pay off your car and keep that money in the market because you make more money in the market than paying off your car. Same thing with credit cards. If people don't pay their credit cards, they're going to get destroyed by like 15, 20% interest rates. All you got to do is pay off your credit card. <laughs> what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think there's some amount of psychology that takes over in that something that seems so simple becomes overwhelming because people start to fighting themselves by their debts. So Ian, you mentioned earlier this hour that sometimes it feels like your bank account is your report card. And so a lot of people feel the same way about their credit card debt, that it must mean that they're dumb. It must mean that they did something wrong. And a lot of times people get into credit card over, over accidents. And it doesn't mean that you're dumb. It just happens that life happens. So this comes back to the self-forgiveness. If you can start to detach your identity from your net worth, from your credit card debt, and just see it as, it's something that I just got to do and trust in the process, like trust in the process that if you pay more than the minimum and you throw more of your money at the fastest growing debts, it will go away one day. You do not have to live with debt forever. Then I think you can finish paying off your credit card debt, but it is important. I, I would hope for everyone to be credit card debt free. And if not, there are, there are ways to do it to help grease the wheels a little bit. So if you're pretty consistent at paying off, your credit cards above the minimum, like call it three months of consistency, check out balance transfers. I'm not above, I'm not like, I'd like those things. If you use them the right way, you can save on some, um, some uh, interest rates by doing that. 
And in really, really dire, like really hard situations, dire situations, um, you can also negotiate with credit card companies. Yeah, that's interesting. What are your thoughts on paying off student loans? Do you think we're going to come to a point where they get forgiven? Ooh, I don't know enough politically to know how much will be forgiven or not. So I'm not going to comment on that. That being said, pay very close attention to what the government is or is not going to do. For a lot of people that I coach, um, I've coached people who've relied or hope to rely on the public student loan forgiveness program, which is a little bit different. It requires that you work in certain types of jobs for uh, 10 years and make 10 years of those minimum payments. And then the rest of your student loans are forgiven. And I said, how many of us can truly forecast 10 years into the future of our lives and really believe that this is the job or the type of job that you want to stick with for 10 years when Millennials and Gen Zers are famous for changing jobs just like that. So <laughs> and, and so I was like, I, I like it, but it's, it's, it's a big bet to make. And for a lot of people, I think like, if you go from the public jobs to the private sector jobs, they pay more and you budget correctly, you're able to pay off this debt and invest and be rid of this kind of thing overhanging your head. And so I'm, I'm more of the opinion of, hey, you know, I don't blame you if you have student loan debt. Not everybody gets college paid for. It's a privilege for sure. Um, but plan on paying it off just so you don't tie your financial wealth and existence or whatnot. Your, your financial, you don't tie your financial future to the whims of a government. Right. And you never want to not have control. Yeah. You, lose, you lose control. You, you feel like you're just flailing around. People can tell you what to do. You know, yeah, like exactly. they, they say in The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins, he says, you want to have F you money, right? And the whole <laughs> idea there is that you can say F you to somebody or something that is, you know, you can say F you to the, the healthcare bill that you got to drop 40 grand on because you found out you have this terrible tumor and need a replacement or something along those lines. You can say F you to the job you don't like because you don't necessarily need it. You can say F you to these things that essentially don't give you the options. And you said that earlier, which I loved. Having money gives you options. You can get the red one or the green one. You know, you can get it now or you can get it in six months. You don't need to wait for the sale, you know, whatever those things are. It's also interesting that you mentioned that we change up our, our timeline so quick. I hear you so hard on that. It's like, I tell my mom, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll probably live in this place for, you know, two or three years and rent it out. And then I stopped and I said, realistically, I don't even know where my head's going to be at in six months. So we'll see, like <laughs> take yeah. it, take it month by month. You just never know. You might change careers. You might change jobs. So much can change, but as long as you're consistent with some of those daily habits, like you said, the auto pay into the index funds, just because that's the most proven and safe way that everyone teaches, you're going to get a result. That's pretty predictable. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So much to go down that path. And it's interesting now that you've built this wealth, you have this life, you're, you've taken care of an issue that so many people think about every single day. When you wake up, like how does your mindset go now? Like what's the difference between someone that has, you know, let's say seven figures in their account versus someone that is just getting up? Do you feel like you have less stress or is it different problems, just different packages? <laughs> I'll say the one mindset that has not changed is this phrase that I call, I get to. And this phrase is literally the magic phrase that allowed me to pull back on my spending 
uh, in my 20s, especially when I realized I really wanted to get to work optionality and I really wanted to invest a lot. It's taking any time that you hear yourself saying, I have to, and say, I get to instead. So instead of saying, I have to wake up early to go to work, it's, I get to wake up early and go to work, which highlights the privilege of employment because there are people unemployed. Or instead of saying, um, I have to clean the dishes tonight, I get to clean the dishes tonight because I have access to clean water, which not everybody in the world has. And so whether I have six figures, seven figures, zero figures, I would hope that for the rest of my life, I wake up every day and I say, and I get to, to be grateful for everything that has been given to me, regardless of my wealth. But I will also say having seven figures means that I no longer need to worry or have uh, have my life being chained to an employment status. Right. So I don't need to rely on a job um, or even a full-time job or a specific job to make a lot of things work out. Now, healthcare is still very big, top of mind, and that's um, you know a reason why I do continue to work a little bit. Um, but many, many of the other stresses, like worrying about money, worrying about my future, definitely is not there. Yeah. And that's huge. It's a stress, right? Stress is what causes a lot of disease over time, years of stress and compounding. Basically jumping into a different mindset, allowing yourself to step into this new you and then taking pride in that new you feel good, look good. At the end of the day, money doesn't define your character. Not at all. I think a lot of the time money defines how you think of yourself. You know what I mean? Cause I have good friends that are super loaded, but I just never invite them over cause they suck. Like they're not fun people and they don't have good hearts. Like I just, they're not a good vibe. You know, they're just always showing off. It's like, bro, what are you doing? You're wearing a lizard on your back, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But I also have friends that, you know, are just living life. And part of me is always in awe of them. I'm like, damn, like they're living it and they're doing it. So no one has the perfect story of how to live life, right? The people that mm-hmm. don't save think, well, hey, I could be dead in five years, right? You know, they're like YOLO. <laughs> and hey, if they're right, respect, respect. But it is an aggressive bet tick, you know? I do think yeah. that there's a happy medium. I think that having you on this show is a great testament that it's possible. I mean, if you just have a decent job and you can save and invest the surplus over long periods of time, eventually time is, is helping you. And it just helps you sleep at night knowing that if a disaster were to occur, you're going to be okay, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it's so popular these days also, cause I know you speak to a lot of entrepreneurs, Ian, um, that it, it's also been glamorized. The entrepreneur life is glamorizing. Oh, it's so much better than a nine to five. Cause you pick what you want to work on. You can choose your own hours, which yes, that can be a result. But I think you and I also know entrepreneurs are some of the hardest working people ever. Cause you could also work 24 seven if, if you don't put boundaries on that. And if you reach financial independence, you reach more work optionality, then you can also set more bounds on your own business and say, I don't have to hustle every second of my life for my business. I can relax a little bit or I don't have to draw as much profit. And maybe you can invest in more interesting parts. I would love, um, I, it's not something that I'm doing now, but I've often toyed around with the idea of also doing angel investing. It's just something that seems really cool to me. And it's something that I think about and maybe 
maybe I might get into at some point in my life as well. You have so many options in this world and you get to choose what you want to do with it. Once you have money, you can go build a business with that money. You can go open up a lounge. You can go invest in companies or startups. You can go start your own hedge fund. You can do all these cool things. You could start an ice cream company. And if it fails, your life's not over. You know, money gives you options. And it's interesting because there's a lot of different ways to get your hand on money, right? Like some people use credit cards these days to actually fund businesses. And it's interesting because there's multiple ways of doing this investing thing. Earn little, invest long, or some people can earn a lot and invest a lot over a short period of time and set themselves up for the rest of their lives. So obviously there's always ways to improve our skills. So if you're thinking, great, okay, I know how to make money, but I want to turbocharge making money. What are some ways that you can make more money? I know it's a simple idea, but in your idea, like what would you mention to someone if they were just like, Hey, I want to make an extra 50, 60 grand a year. And just because I want to be able to invest it all. And, and I want to retire like you in my forties or whatever. Yeah. Well, first I would ask them how much free time they have. If you have significant free time, like let's say you work a very corporate nine to five job and you don't have a lot of other obligations then use your extra time to make more money, side hustle. So that was how I made a lot of extra money was that I used my extra time and I had a skill. So I went out and started a wedding photography business. If you don't want to do that because you, you know, want to have that time for yourself, then if you are in a nine to five, the best you can do is to, to grow in that nine to five. So either it is going really, really hard for six months to learn a new skill to take on more responsibility to show your boss that you can add more sales or whatever and get a pay bump that that can be really, really big. Um, for some others, I would say it might require changing jobs. And this is especially, I've seen this a lot from people who originally went into jobs with really high hopes because it would, uh, it would meet so many of their like personal requirements, but it ends up, paying below market and you wouldn't know that you're being paid below market until you start interviewing and talking to other people about salaries which i know is a very taboo subject but you gotta hear it because i want everyone to get paid market rate so if you're not getting paid market rate go out interview negotiate and hop to a new job you don't owe your employer anything we're not in the age of I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm just saying we're not in the age of slavery. You have the choice to walk away from an employer who doesn't pay you what you're worth. Amen to that. And it's interesting too, because there's so many options and a lot, I I love hearing stories about people that took years to find their true calling. I think Morgan Freeman is a great example. He got into acting when he was in his late fifties, I believe. And then blew up and became Morgan Freeman, right? There's a lot of us that haven't even found our, our, our brilliance, right? And that career or that people or that team you're involved might not be in. That's why it takes bouncing around to try different stuff. I always tell people, I got started in network marketing when I was younger. And the best lesson it taught me was it opened my mind that there's other ways of making money than just working for someone else. It just, mm-hmm. when you receive a check, from an institution that you earned, that no one can take from you, that you did by your own, you didn't have a boss. It's just a very empowering feeling. And you think, oh, if I can do this, maybe I can start a wedding photography business, entrepreneurship. Maybe I can start scaling that out. How can I increase my rate? Do I need to spend more money on cameras? What's overspending? All those things. And I love that you said like, but sometimes starting a business 
isn't that easy. Like people, it is so much work and tiring, especially for someone so used to like a nine to five where they get that time off. I mean, it is brutal to see some of these successful people that have built companies, 50 to 100, 200 people, or even the micro entrepreneurs that have like five, 10 staff. You got to be on it. When someone else is def- is relying on you, you can't just be sick for a week. You know, you don't just take PTO as an entrepreneur, right? You work your butt off to one day, hopefully have the dream in your life. But I feel like most entrepreneurs never really stop working because once they get involved, <laughs> they get the bug. Even if they make the big jump, they're going to get bored, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, shiny object syndrome, which is why we all have our enough line. And some of us haven't reached those. And I, I, I just decided to draw a line a little bit early in life and say, I, I've reached the enough stage in career. And now it's time for me to focus on my family. And that's my personal choice. And all the power to everybody else making those choices. I think it's just important to be self-aware and know what you want and ask yourself, my time and my resources are limited are these things, my time and resources being used to meet the values that I've set for myself in my life? Are they aligned? If they're not aligned, how can I bring those more into alignment? And, and I think that's where satisfaction and joy comes from is once everything is in, in alignment, you feel like you are living your, your truest life. Sean, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself, like in your late teens or early twenties, you know, this eureka moment where you see yourself now and you see yourself in the future, what would maybe be one, two or three things that you would have told yourself that could have saved you a ton of time, money, heartache, headache. And, and a great answer is always, I wouldn't have said anything because it made me who I am today, but yeah. take, throwing that one out. What are some things that you might've, might've told yourself? Two things, uh, because I'm actually going through, through some of that. Now I'm actually in the middle of trying to finish hiring for, for save my sense to get out of my own way. So I have time. Um, if you can scale, scale it, try not to do everything yourself. I think in my first few couple of ventures, I just did everything myself and I made a lot of money, but I also sank a lot of hours into working, which I really could have used to see more friends. And I think the second is to learn to decouple my identity and sense of self-worth away from whatever it is that I'm doing. Like yesterday in the current iteration, I'm Shang. I teach people about personal finance and save my sons and I'm a mom, but it can change at any moment. And change isn't bad, nor is a change in my career necessarily a sign of failure. Because sometimes we get so stuck on one identity and wanting to do the best at that and be the best at that, that we kind of ignore this other path that might be available. And I think I constantly like to define myself by the industry that I was in, the work that I do. And I am very much a people pleaser when I work. And sometimes I'm like, you know what? It's okay to just do the work and also focus on life because that, that's my choice at the moment. Yeah, that's powerful. You thought about this a lot. <laughs> These are things though, like understanding your own personal philosophy and being comfortable with your own thoughts and moving to the beat of your own drum and paving your own path, all these things just become easier with financial freedom, right? And in a perfect world, I know I would just love to be able to have financial freedom, have my family have freedom, have my friends have freedom. 
and everyone gets to do what they want when they want. If they want to hang out with dogs all day, they can do it. If you want to open up a dog shelter, which like 90% of America just wants to do, then go do it. You know, I hope this podcast and this episode and all this serves as that push to be like, all right, if Sean can do it. I can do it too. Right. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you're at. As long as you start today and start building skills, you start saving money, you start investing the surplus and still like, you don't have to live super cheap. Right. We all have friends that are like cheap. I, I don't like that personally. I don't like friends that are just dumb cheap, but there is a difference between being cheap and budgeting. And if you can budget for those fancy dinners or for that car or for those things so that you're at least enjoying life, but at the same time saving for the future, you get the cake and eat it too, right? Yeah. I think a budget is also not a limit. It's so easy to say, okay, I got a budget. This is how much I'm spending. My budget is limiting. And if we can see the budget as a tool for freedom, I think it's a much more positive connotation. And instead of saying my budget is stopping me from living the life I want, I can say my budget is allowing me to live the life I would like for both now and later, especially when late, like in my twenties, I had no idea that, that, you know, people on average live to like 79 years old. I'm like, Oh, it can't be that long. Right. And then I was like, wow, it took me a really long time to go from age 20 to age 30. And I still have several more decades to go. It is actually a really long time. We are going to live a really long time, you know, knock on wood, uh, health, health issues, not, um, notwithstanding. And so that budget is meant to set me free. And with the constraint, I got creative. Um, on the foodie side, I also learned to cook and I cook a lot better now. I don't burn off my chicken. So I enjoy the food that I make. I enjoy the money that I save there. And also because I eaten out a lot in recent months, I realized too that it, it's not all that great. Sometimes takeout food is just takeout food. And I actually would have preferred making my own pasta or something. And, uh, and so when, when we see the budget positively as a tool for freedom, as a process that is just something that you trust in, then it also feels uh, a lot more freeing to, to let it exist in our lives, that it plays a role. I like to call, um, I suggest a lot of my students, the people that I coach, that you set aside one hour a week on money. And it doesn't mean that you set aside one hour you just play with your spreadsheets it can be listening to this podcast it can be reading a book it can be uh searching for more information online or talking it out if you have a spouse that you share finances with and i call it the money happy hour like this is not a dreaded hour it's a happy hour if you like to drink get out your favorite drinks i like to do a cheese plate make it fun make it interactive make it something that you look forward to because wealth building should be enjoyable for some portion of it. We, we should have fulfilling and beautiful and joyful moments along the way. Beautiful. That's a great way to end this show. Shung, I appreciate you. I know the guests have appreciated you. How can everyone follow your journey? How can they plug into your courses and all your good stuff? Sweet. Um, I'm on Instagram, save my sense, all one word. I also have a website, safemysense.com. I, uh, I do coaching. I run a uh, crash course on saving a retirement called the Save My Retirement Masterclass. That's the main course. Um, I opened it up a couple months ago or so. And honestly, send me DMs. Like if you see me on Instagram and you got a question, send me a message. I would love to hear from you. If you say that you heard me from, from a, it's a damn good day, 
tell me because I'd love to hear about your reaction to the show and uh, what you think. Love it. You got a big heart. You're such a good vibe. You're such good energy. More people like you need to exist and we're honored to have you. I'm, I'm looking forward to staying in touch. Hopefully we can do this again in a few years and uh, we run it back and, and see where everything's at. So again, thank you so much to everyone tuning in. Check out Save My Sense. This is the damn good day show. We out here. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening to another episode. Remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time, peace.